You are listening to Fearless Talk, Season 2, Episode 4, The Joy and Grief. In this episode, you'll hear from Evie Hepworth as she unpacks the joy that comes from grieving and how it increases our capacity to trust. Evie opens up about pregnancy loss, what it's like to experience diagnosis after diagnosis, and other hard seasons of life that have invited her to understand the importance of grieving and the joy that always follows it. Take a seat and be prepared to be inspired. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Fearless Talk. Um, Today's a a little bit of a different um, episode in the sense that we're not going to be talking about um, any one uh, major thing that we've overcome or have gone through in the last year or week or anything like that. We are actually going to be kind of talking about just transition in general. And um, transition is really funny because transition transitions itself. So um, we have been talking a lot, EB and I, um, and so we're just going to kind of have our conversation with this little microphone here. It's not anything planned or rehearsed. We're actually in Nashville right now for a work convention. And um, if you could only see us right now, <laughs> I am in a robe, as you know, the hotel <laughs> life, it gets me every time. Um, but yeah, Ebi. Hello. Hi, everybody. (laughs) All right. Well, where do we start? Okay. So really what we were talking about for like the last hour, we try to take a nap. And have you ever just like laid down with a friend, maybe like a sleepover or something, and you are having this great conversation and then you both go to sleep like it's unspoken yeah you know it's weird (laughs) and you're just you just stop talking and shut your eyes and then you're just kind of like focusing on your breathing and you're like is that done (laughs) are you gonna say anything and so then I just said to her you know what let me tell you what she said (laughs) we're about to fall asleep or we at that point we're both quiet we didn't deep in conversation and then we didn't say anything for four like maybe like four or five minutes and then she goes if you're having a hard time relaxing just try and put your tongue on the back of your throat, not so you so you throw up, but just relax your tongue, <laughs> and then that's how I, I fall asleep if I relax my tongue on the back of my throat, <laughs> like dead serious. Because it's true. And then she, and then it, it was just so funny. But then she's like, "Let's talk about life." She's like, "You want to know what I'm thinking right now?" <laughs> and then we got into a really right. deep conversation really deep. Yeah. about transition. Yeah. So and then we after we were like, we should have recorded that. We should have okay. recorded it. It's but okay. you know what? Here we are now kind of expanding in different areas. So, okay. So one of the things, EB, that I think people are very curious about with you is how have you learned to transition all the things that you've transitioned in the last, in your whole life? My whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like what, what is the process of transit of transition? How do you cope with it? How yeah. do you do it? How do you do it well? How have mm-hmm. you not done it well? All those things. Well, I actually like how you said it actually in the very beginning in the intro, how you said transition, transitions. And I think it's funny because sometimes transition, like all things in life, they evolve, they grow, they change. But um, transition in one season or grief or joy or pain or whatever, it looks different in the next season. And so transition is not something that I feel like you can just... Um, like master. It's like always growing and always evolving. So, um, I think the crucial for me, the crucial thing to be able to transition well, or to be able to process, honestly, cause I think for me, transition comes down to grief often. Um, just cause I'm usually grieving the past season 
or grieving, maybe what I'm even stepping into, knowing it's going to be hard or grieving. Like, I just think grief is not talked about as much. And I think it's um, not even experienced as much if we were to be honest with our own hearts or just if we were quiet enough to like listen to what God wanted to like speak in our hearts. I think that he would very, very frequently would say, hey, I want to grieve with you in this. So, okay. So just before you get into this a little bit more. What do you mean grief is, it doesn't happen enough? Can you expand on that? Say that again? Grief doesn't happen enough. Oh, okay. Because I think grief, I think the definition, and I could totally be wrong, but to me, the, the definition of grief would be to like fully, fully mourn the loss of something. And so with transition, no, even if you're transitioning into a good, beautiful new thing, let's just use the example of marriage, from being single to married, you're, you're transitioning into a beautiful thing that you're excited about, but there's still this grieving of this, tr- this past life, you know, this past season. And so when it goes to, gre- uh, you know, transitioning from no kids to kids, you're as joyful and excited as it is and miraculous, you're still grieving these other things. And so I think transition is often hinged on whether or not you're like you transition well, if you process grief well, in my opinion. And I think grief, uh, sometimes people imagine it where you're soaked up on the floor weeping, uh, but I think grief can look different. I think it's just a willingness to be quiet and sit with the father and to like actually prioritize being quiet. And I think that that's how you handle grief. Well, that's how you can, honestly cope with any pain, with any hurt, with any loss, with any, anything is like, okay, am I going to sit in this? Uh, and you know, my, even like, it's often an inconvenience to, we're so busy. We have so much time. It's an inconvenience to sit and just, I'm just going to sit with the father today. And it's really hard. It's hard. Even when you are in prayer, how many times do we sit in prayer and we're like, okay, God, I, I, I really need you today. And, and it's a pure heart of like, I, I'm going to step into this prayer life or just pray, I'm in the car for four minute drive. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, okay. This I want to wear this outfit, or I want, or whatever. Your mind, like our brains are not. Tra- we are not training our brain to just sit in one thing for a minute, let alone training our spirit. You know, and so I think transitioning well, it's just really allowing your heart to grieve. And I think a lot of people are nervous for what grief will pull up. Yeah. Oh, I feel shame or insecure about what I stepping out of or what I'm stepping into, or I feel uh, embarrassed or I feel, um, honestly over capable. Like I feel really, really good about this, but it's just the ability to actually let your feelings rise to the surface and then talk to Jesus about them, honestly, and be like, and sometimes they're not always negative. I'm making it sound like all I talk to God about is like these awful things, but you know, I would say that's a majority, but then there's these other beautiful things where I'm like, Oh God, why am I feeling joy with this? There's a joy that I've never felt right in like, tell me why. And then that's when it's so amazing because you're in this friendship with the Holy Spirit where it's not this cosmic relationship of like, you're only praying with him with the big things, but it's every single emotion, every single feeling, every single like you know, new season you find yourself in, it's this revisited. You don't have to always pick up where you left off because you're never left leaving anything off. It's always being put on. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh God, okay, God, this. That's why when people are like, you know, you, I see people with heroes of the faith and I'm like, I swear, I bet that they pray about what they should, how they should drive to a specific location, God left or right, just because and I, I'm like convinced that they hear from the Lord and say, go left today. And then there's this divine appointment or something. And I'm not saying that that's always this like, you know, like super religious thing, but I'm convinced that those kinds of people that ask God those things, it's because he, he's built this track record in their relationship with him where it's like, he, they talk to God about everything mm-hmm. and that's why they can transition with everything. And that's why when God says, Hey, give this away, obedience is everything because they know their shepherd's voice. And it's like, yeah, I know that he said this. And then that's why when you are giving obedient to give something away, that's hard to give away. It's like, Oh, 
okay, God, tell me why. Well, tell me, tell me why, you know? And it's like, and then again, you get a grief. Okay, God, thank you for that last season. I, I'm grieving with it. I'm, 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 I'm burying it in the sense of, so then something else will grow. But, um, and that's the other thing with grief. Honestly, it's like, I feel like grief is like the, um, almost like the, the fertilizer, you know, to having things continue to grow. Like you could water it with like a good attitude or optimism or hope, which is a beautiful, good, necessary, needed thing. But there's this really sweet thing that grief tends to grow things with more efficiency, with more vulnerability, with more like honesty, you know? And so if you can learn how to fertilize a lot of your transition and a lot of your pain or a lot of your joys or whatever in um, like grieving, I really think that we would be really surprised at how like trusting, like the, the fruit of that is going to be to trust him mm-hmm. and then a closer friendship, you know, with yeah, that's, Jesus. That's really good. I took a class in college called death and dying, which I sounds, did, too. did you? Yeah. It was one of the best things I ever yeah. did because especially in relation to, to transition, death and dying, <laughs> dying and then death it should have been called or something like that you know just putting yeah, dying yeah. before death <laughs> um but the transition of dying like it it can be actually such an amazing time in someone's life some people feel more alive closer to death and that's like a, that's not something i'm saying to sound pretty like they have literally felt they've never felt more alive in their spirit as they do as they're dying, Mm -hmm. when they're dying. And I think that there's something really beautiful in that, in understanding like the joy of, of mourning. Now there are so many literal layers to grief, so much context to grief, so many layers to grief. I'm not a grief counselor. You're not a grief counselor, but I do think that we're people who have gone through a lot of terrible things and a lot of great things, but we've handled them differently than a lot of most people. And that is not to say, so I hope you guys are hearing this. I'm not saying that I'm better or that you are better or that we get this and we have it figured out, but we have seen fruit in the way that we've allowed ourselves to grieve with gratitude and grieve knowing that God is going to give us more Mm -hmm. than he's taking away or than we feel like he's taking away. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he's not taking anything away. Like (laughs) he's actually just like, pruning it and it's not meant to be there in the first place so you just take the trash out because the trash shouldn't be there anyways mm-hmm. so anyways it's Can I say something to that? yeah so I think that something about that how you said um the death and dying my first thought with that was like that that that, that is the that's grieving in the sense of there's a new season the old season is dying but we serve a king that resurrects not to say that old season won't resurrect and come back around. But like, that is what's so amazing is we get to die, you know, and there's this whole like, Oh, we're going to die with them every day and we're die to myself and all this. But yeah, that's literally what we're doing because there's this invitation to trust him. And then you're looking at him saying, okay, maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's an old season. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's, and I'm in it. It, it kind of is sounding, it's maybe it's a, like, there's these different things where it sounds like all your whole life is just one long, like, sacrifice where you're like, man, this really stinks. But that's not what I'm saying. There's these other grieving of like a a joy, like you said, the joy in grieving of like, oh my gosh, I get to give this to the Lord. I get to pour my heart. I get to experience this pain. And I say this a lot and I can, hopefully it's communicated clearly through Instagram even, but like in a lot of different pain, a couple months ago, I found myself weeping in the tub, literally weeping 
And my initial thought was like, God, why is it only in this deep, deep, deep amount of pain and loss that I can feel you so close? And he said, it's because I'm close to the brokenhearted, which we hear, we slap it on coasters and we put our coffee on it and we put it on, you know, or whatever. And it's like, but then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, brokenhearted. Like, why is it only in pain that he's so close? Because you come to a place where your your grief is so, you know, up to your neck where you're like, God, you have to let me breathe, literally put breath in my lungs. And then in the same thing, in the same joy, where you're like, oh my gosh, God, I'm so joyful. I'm so, this is so good. This is so, this is what I prayed for for decades. Oh my gosh, Lord, I need you in it. And it's just this measured by desperation, really. And so, um, but at the same time, you only got there because you were willing to die with him in something else. You know what I mean? So it really is like the art of dying well, or whatever you want to call it, um, the joy of grieving. Like, it's like... You have to be willing to die. Yeah, and you also have to know in in grieving all of the steps, and you know, like they there are all the, of these different steps. Like first, you're angry, and then you're this, and like you go through steps of grieving. The reason I think, I mean, all of this was kind of unplanned in talking about it, but I think the reason why we're both kind of talking about maybe the joy of it first. Some people might be like, well, have you even gone through grief? Right. Have you even, how dare you talk about it in that way first? Like, how dare you bring up joy first? Or dilute it. Or, or dilute that, it. Yeah, and that's totally. not at all what is happening. But sometimes, most of the time, <laughs> deep grief is literally so paralyzing that you have to know that there is a purpose of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like, some, for me anyways, like I'm the kind of person who has to know that there's fruit, there's, there's light at the end of it because there, something better will come. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that right now. You don't feel that right now, sure. but it will be there. Right. You know, it's just a yeah. matter of like, oh my God, wait. So I can trust you and this is going to happen. Like you just had like, you know, 30 minutes of really truly playing something out that you don't want to do, that mm-hmm. you don't want to confront, but you know that like you're going to have to it's going to be a transition. There's going to be a lot of really crappy, hard things mm-hmm. in that, but it will all in the end, it will be good. Right. You know? Yeah. So, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about how you've handled grief. Yeah. And what specifically, and maybe even giving context to what I've been through. So then people understand. Yeah. Why don't you broad pain? Yeah. Why don't yeah. you explain that? Okay. So, um, you know, I think that there's, I'm not going to sit here and tell my life story just cause that's, that would be a six and a half hour podcast. <laughs> but, you know, I've been through a lot of uh, various hard, very, very hard things. My husband and I both, both before we're married and then after we're married, um, both family things. You know, we both come from divorced families. Um, and not only that, but just um, hard life moments, life changing type things. Um, and when we first got married, uh, we were married only like six months and we had an ectopic pregnancy and the whole thing of it was very traumatic in the sense, you know, I almost died. I had extreme internal bleeding. It was a long carried out process. I was, I was on, uh, we went to Hawaii for a funeral for Zach's uncle. We ended up obviously having two, you know, like there were these things where it was like, um, a long drawn out pain, painful season that was like, God, this could have been handled in one doctor's appointment on one day. Why did it have to be drawn out to six week pain? You know, um, and that's a whole thing, you know, and, um, 
And Zach and I always wanted, um, we were always wanted kids, but we were like, we'll probably, so we're about 29. We wanted to be married for five years before we were traveling all over the Philippines and Thailand at the time. So it was like, and that really was our heart. So, um, and even that's a whole thing of taking on the grief and the pain of other people. We'd been in the human trafficking industry, fighting that with, uh, you know, down, just getting down to the nitty gritty with people, walking people, walking with through trauma with people. And that alone is a whole other podcast of how to not pick up the grief and the pain of other people when it feels so personal, when they, they feel like family. And, um, so then, um, you know, the whole adoption process, there's a lot of grieving in that because there's a lot of grieving of expectations of how you're going to, it's going to look. There's a lot of grieving of, um, you know, and, Obviously, we ended up adopting our two beautiful children, and after we got matched, we found out our son was very sick, which we, you know, is a, that's going to happen with adoption. You're not going to be able to tell how healthy a child is, uh, and we knew that. But then there was a lot of grieving of, wow, our normal life, and we didn't know at the time it was Duchenne. We just thought it was maybe, you know, some type of uh, infectious disease, but grieving that, okay, Lord, instead of the first response being like, okay, God, it's going to be, whoo, like, you know, like, and kind of having this attitude of like, hurrah, here we go together. It was kind of like, okay, wow, Lord, like, what is this going to look like? Walk with me in this. Show me what you're doing behind this veil that I can't see. Show me what you're, you know, and there's this, and that still can be with a tone of faith, but then that grieving of being like, and not just basically ignoring these fears or these deep feelings or emotions that are very, very valid. I'm not saying it's the first thing that you instantly bring to him in question, but I am saying it's like, so often brushed under the rug, especially me, even like last week, you guys heard Rachel Enneagram. I'm a three. I put everything under the rug in the name of efficiency so then I can get things done. And I don't process emotion all for the sake of being efficient. And then it builds up. And then there's a week long period of the dam being opened and water rushing through and then people having basically getting whiplashed with my emotions. And so just being aware of those types of things, that's why it's so important, especially for me just to be like, okay, let's talk about what just happened and, you know, let's step into this through faith, but also while honoring our own hearts and being able to bring that to the Lord as like an honest fragrance or an honest, like, you know, sacrifice. And so, um, then, you know, later just grieving, you know, getting through it with adoption, getting matched with our kids and then realizing how sick Asa was coming home, getting him, you know, my son is diagnosed with a terminal genetic disease that currently has no cure. And the whole process of that is like, how do you grieve a diagnosis. You're looking at him and he looks healthy. He's walking. He's doing these things. It doesn't look like he's sick, but down to the DNA of his body, it's not normal. So with a lens of faith, but then also being honest with your prayer life with the Lord in the secret place, God, what is, uh, grieve with me on this. You were picked me to be his mother. Walk me through this one. Walk me through the emotions that come with a diagnosis with this, walk me through what you're, what you're doing behind this and show me how I can trust you in this show. Obviously, you know, always praying for healing, always praying for all these different things. But then with your own heart, with your own grief, it's like, okay, God, sh- show me the joy in this. You know, if that makes sense, it's because it, joy is a weapon and so is grief. But um, then, you know, Zach and I, that year, two thousand. 18 was the absolute hardest year of my life, which Angel obviously knows that, you know, I think, I think there's probably three or four people in our entire lives that know how hard 2018 was. And those four people are probably the only ones that will ever know just because maybe, maybe in decades we'll write about it, but just, you know, whatever, we were really living through it, but it was just, our marriage was very, very hard. 
to the point where I wondered, is this salvageable? And, uh, and there's something about, you know, looking at these things that you've built with God and seeing them broken. And you're like, wait a minute, but I've built this with you. I've had a prayer life with you. You've been my friend through the whole thing. I've never, ever doubted your goodness. And yet, why is it broken? And, you know, and it's just these honest, hard questions that God is not nervous for you to ask. I think sometimes we think that when we go to God with questions, it's impolite or that we should be like, how dare you? You're not questioning his goodness. He's so good that you know you can approach him and ask him, you know? And so um, it was just this like really big moment for me and God where it was like, this doesn't make sense. And it's not adding up of how you were so intricately involved in my life and leading my life. And yet the fruit of it is spoiled right now. And I don't know why. And there was a lot of deep heart work that he wanted to do in me, but grieving my broken marriage, grieving my sick son, grieving my friendships that have been um, absent, grieving you know, my professional childhood, yeah, childhood pain, grieving my professional life of my career of what I wanted it to look like and what it did not look like. And the reality of that grieving my own insecurities, grieving that my lack of sleep, I've never been a very good sleeper. So like just these things where it's like, and you know, unsanctified, I think grief would be considered pity. But when you ask the Holy Spirit, God, come with me in this and walk me through this. He doesn't pity you. He sits there. He's, it's like this, almost like an armchair, this like actual physical support where he's coming and bringing this lift to you. Hey, you can rest right here on me. And so, um, yeah. And then obviously we have been in the infertility journey for, you know, now going on, um, let's see, got married next month will be five years. So, uh, four years when we started our adoption process, yes, we had ectopic pregnancy before, but we had no clue we would have fertility issues, um, we knew it'd be different. Okay. One less Philippian tube. That's okay. Doctors told you, Oh, you'll get pregnant. You Google it. Oh yeah. Everyone gets pregnant. Still have one tube. You're good. Um, we never thought we would have infertility issues. And so a lot of people look at our adoption story and they say, Oh, they must not have been able to have kids. Oh, adoption must have been plan B, but that's not how it happened. And so then when we did start, okay, you know, after a year or so you're like, okay, we'll go to a doctor. And then, you know, getting diagnosed after diagnosis. And there's different things I could throw out diagnosis out there, but it's like really irrelevant of just like every time you go back, a different doctor says a different thing. And you're like, who do I trust? How do I do this? How do, it's emotional draining. Every medication pumped through my body, every procedure done. And it's like, God, you're in this with me. I've always felt the call from you to lead our family. Again, you're with God through every single second. And yet you look at your life and wait, like, wait, you know. And it's just like, I mean, look at David, you know, like, or every freaking human being that that God, like every human being on earth that has worked willingly with God will look at their life and say, wow, this looks far from perfect. And yet somehow in his kindness, he's stitching these ugly pieces to be this huge masterpiece. And it's like, it doesn't make sense. And yet he keeps doing it. And so I was able to look at our life, you know, four years. And it's just emotional. If you've been on a fertility journey, and honestly, if I'm being honest, with all the uh, social media stuff, for some reason, I've always felt this invitation, and honestly, almost a command from the Lord to be open with our journey and God just to put our life on display in a private way or in a, I should say, protective way. Not, I, I obviously don't share it all, but then at the same time, letting people say, hey, look what God will do with somebody that is literally just willing. I'm li- you guys, I don't have this gift of faith. I don't have this, um, you know, I don't have these things. I think people look at me and they think if I could just be like you and I'm like, you don't understand. 
I am so incredibly not the same fears or the same insecurity. It's literally, I'm just willing to say, God, can you just freaking do something? Just will you move? I'm so tired of <laughs> trying to do it on my own. Will you just move? That's the only thing. And so uh, with our adoption or with our fertility journey, that has been really hard because um, it just feels very physically personal. It's obviously dealing with your anatomy. So you're like, oh, and I hate my biggest annoyance is when people pity me when they will say like, oh, you know, and they hold your shoulder in a way and not in a way of I, I will take people's support. But when it's when it has this subconscious condescending tone. I hate to feel pitied. And so a lot of things I'm like, I don't want to share this because people are going to say, oh, you know, but then the Lord is like, no, I want you to share this. And so we've been on this journey of um, all kinds of things. So basically last month, um, my last and only fallopian tube had to be removed and we didn't know it was going to have to be removed. And it was just kind of this like plot twist, like, okay, just when I th- we're, we were getting into this groove of like kind of having a plan and all this, you know, and that's how it works. But um it was taken or not taken, but removed. Um, and you know what, that's actually a good way that I put that Mm -hmm. because pity, if you don't process grief with the father, then you'll look at a situation. You'll say that was taken from me. But when you look at the vantage point of heaven, you're going to look at a situation in your life. You're going to say in his kindness, he was with me every moment. Mm -hmm. And because he's close to the brokenhearted, that doesn't mean I have to be smiling and excited. I can be, I can allow this pain to be in me for a minute. I can fully sit in this for a second, you know? And so, um, that's really the difference. You'll say, see a season of transition. You'll say, God took this from me if without, you know, filtered through faith. And when filtered through faith, you can look through something and say in his kindness and in his goodness, he, (laughs) you know, brought me from this, but I know that he's not done in writing my story and he's going to keep moving. And so, um, and that's honestly processing grief. Like I said, it just increases your capacity to trust him. It increases your capacity to, to be obedient. And when you have an ongoing ability to process grief with joy and with the lens of faith, then you're going to have an increased capacity to be radically more obedient. And with obedience is obviously favor. And then people look at you and they say, I just don't get it. You go through all this, but then this, and you're like, it's because grief equals <laughs> favor in the sense of because you're brave enough to have these hard conversations. It's kind of a full circle. So all that to say, um, it's interesting because I, I, what I'm learning is I can process grief healthy with God. I can, or I don't know what you define healthy, whatever the way that I feel God is asking me to, I can sit there in my own private time, but then there's this very practical part of processing grief with the your people that you love. And that is a whole thing that I am so honestly, it's a challenge for me because I, for example, I process with Angel very different than I process with Zach, just because there's a dynamic of a girl to girl best friend, right? And so then in a marriage, you're like, okay, we both walked through this together. Me losing a Philippian tube affected Zach just as much as it affected me. Obviously, physically, it affected me a little more, but we were one. So it was, a, and especially as a husband, the supportive role, it's like you're looking at it and you're like, I can't do anything and this does directly affect me, but how do I support this? So there's a whole different conversation of grief that Zach has to have with the father by himself. But coming together, that's what is so hard for me because it's like, how do you not measure each other's pain? How do you not get competitive with, no, this happened to me? You know, I could feel that, the invitation, honestly, I could feel that so often. Uh, and right before my surgery, the day before I, I told Zach, this, if this affects me more than it affects you, like you have to be patient. You have to like, you have to understand. And he, and he looked at me and was like, there is no measurement of pain. There's mm-hmm. pain is pain. It's, it's black or white. It's not this you're hurting more. And I'm, you know, and, and so 
with that and then also with friends, understanding how to grieve, understanding that you don't always share every single piece of grief, even with your closest friends and understanding, okay, this is a private thing with just me and the Lord. And what does it look like to keep it private, keep it holy, but then what boundaries do you share and process with? And so grief, there's so many components and there's with, with the father and with friends and with your own self and all that. But, um, I don't even remember your original question. <laughs> you yeah. Okay. I was just asking for you to explain all of that because okay. it's been quite the ride. It's been a really wild ride. And, um, yeah, I think you explained it really well. That's awesome. Um, Okay, so let's kind of talk a little bit about um, pregnancy, Mm -hmm. infertility, pregnancy loss, um, what that looks like, and how grief has affected your transition. Yeah. Um, You know, I think with... I, I plan everything. So, well, everyone does. The second you pee on a stick and you see a pregnancy sign, you instantly you're like, should we go buy a crib like this afternoon? Or, you know, like maybe not everyone, but that's how I, I was like, oh, so we should like. Like ordering fifth birthday. Yeah, exactly. Do you think she'll like pirates? <laughs> Do you think she'll like the Caribbean? Exactly. We have a magician. <laughs> oh, exactly. I'm totally that way. I So when I found out I was pregnant the very first time, my initial thought was like, oh my gosh, this is like plot twist. It was not expected. Um, and then in that same breath was like, Oh my gosh, everything's going to change everything. And then you just dream. Right. And I think when you process grief well with the father, he, he shows you that you don't have to stop dreaming, but that the dreaming is actually bigger than you realized. So, so what I mean to say is that a lot of, I think that's often the response to grieving with the Lord is this, oh, I need a real back. I can't trust him as much because look what happens when I did. This is the outcome. And then there's this um, stop of dreaming. And then all of a sudden you'll find yourself settling in these little tiny moments, which little moments obviously add to the big moments. So the little moments of invitations to trust him, all of a sudden you're like, no. And then they slowly build up. And then all of a sudden you look at your life in the last three years and you're like, I can't think of one moment where I've actually trusted the Lord. And I actually don't even know what it means to dream. For me, dreaming is just being connected to the Father's heart because that's a natural fruit and response and product to being connected to Him because He's always, always wanting to deposit heaven into your mind. And so there's this like, there's this buildup. So essentially... Um, the question was um, grief and like processing grief with yeah. How does grief affect your transition specifically in regards pregnancy to pregnancy? Loss. Yeah, um, I think you have to be able to be real with the pain. It you know, and you know what I I, I I've experienced deep deep pain, obviously. But I look at other people and I see that they've had thirteen miscarriages. They've had four miscarriages. And you can't, when you're processing pain and grief, you can't look at someone else and always think it could be worse because that's like a Band-Aid on a like open heart surgery. The response to it could be worse. No, no you're, you're, you're diluting what you just went through. You're diluting 
the amount of pain and the amount of loss, it's okay to be hurt. It's okay to cry. It's okay to weep. It's okay to be mad. Uh, I got, I was like, I honestly, I have so much anger that flows through my body just naturally that I was like, maybe I should get into kickboxing. Maybe I should hunt a bear. (laughs) I don't know. Like there's these things where it's like, there's also, and that's a very practical thing that you can find hobbies to be able to take out your pain of like, (laughs) be a hunter. Zuck's like, why'd you bring home three moose for dinner? I'd be like, I'm grieving. I had a bad day. <laughs> but seriously, I think that when we slap on, it could be worse. That's that's just this Band-Aid to something much deeper. And that's when, um, just like I said at the very beginning, being able to be honest with the questions and taking the time. Every single time that we've had a loss and every time we've got a new diagnosis, Zach and I will have to take the time to be, okay, step back. Okay, okay, okay. And, you know, often I think... I have a hard time with this and I would love for you to speak into this, but there's this weird tension behind expectations and faith because expectations, you know, it's like, I expect you to move God. I expect you to do this. I expect, and it's like, you know, Phil, and you could interchange that with, I believe you'll do this. I hope you'll do this or whatever. But then there's this thing of like, don't have expectations, you know, don't have like, <laughs> don't expect to do this. Cause then you're putting them in a box and there's these different dialogues in my own mind anywhere where I'm like, okay, God adjust, adjust this. Even in the same, I've had this conversation a thousand times when you read the Bible and it's like, uh, it's in, how do you have hope in Jesus and not for a specific outcome? Not, but then at the same time, having faith for that outcome, because that's what the faith is diag- diagnosed, defined as having hope for things unseen. You know what I mean? I'm getting kind of theologically going in this down circle, (laughs) but these, welcome to my brain. Uh, no, but seriously, it's like, (laughs) how do you ask God, align my expectations, align my hope and align my belief with what you want to do in this moment? Sit with me in this pain, sit with me as I process this, sit with me as I adjust my expectations or adjust my hope. God, I want to hope in you in this. And honestly, uh, I actually wasn't even going to share this, but the, the night before my surgery, I could not sleep. I obviously, I was like, my brain was all over the place. And, um, and Zach, I, I got out of bed. Zach's like, where are you going? And I'm like, I, I, I feel like it's so weird, but I feel like God told me to go on a drive. This is like three o'clock in the morning. He's like, okay, I get in the car to go for a drive. I had to be at the hospital even like two hours later, or maybe it was like two, but, um, get in the car. And I was like, God, where am I, where am I going to go? Where, where, and you know, there's something holy about the car, right? There's like, no one can really touch you. And I just assumed in my head, there's this cross in Boise that overlooks the city. And I just assume mm, that sounds like a pretty holy spot he'd take me to. I'm like, oh, he's probably going to lead me to the cross. Um, and he didn't. I was like, okay, God, here. And right as we're driving down this road, he said, I want you to go to the hospital. And I was like, hmm, okay. So I drive to the hospital, park in the parking lot. And I said, okay, I'm here. What do you want me to do? And he said, I want to walk through all of the different times that you've walked out of this hospital with bad news. And then I want you to write vows to me that you trust me. And I was like, that seems kind of odd. It seems like, you know, and this, stuff like that, guys, it, it's just, you can feel, you can look, listen to this and think she is a crazy homie. Or you could look at it and be like, that's only God that I got in my car at two in the morning. And then he told me to drive to a hospital. And honestly, I felt him saying like, this is your battle. And I want you to write, like, this is your battlefield, I should say. And I want you to see that every single moment of it, I've still been victorious, even though, because you don't define EB, you don't define victory as what I define it by. And so I want you to write a new vow to me that you're going to trust me with my life. 
and or with your life. And so I started to process different times that I've walked out of the hospital. Honestly, before Zach, I even knew Zach's name. I walked out of there once. The first memory that came to mind was when I had kidney stones in college and I was late to practice and I was so ner- I was like, I, I, give me the medicine. I got to go to practice. Soccer is more important. And there's this inability. I couldn't even past kidney stones because I was like, I have to be somewhere else. Like there was a, you know, and so just grieving that, like, and there were so many different freaking times that I was like, holy cow. Asa, obviously walking out of there with news, not even knowing how to spell the word Duchenne. And, um, so he just took me through, you know, probably over a dozen different memories. Um, and I'm obviously weeping and, um, and Zach had just bought this new car for us that day. So there was literally all I had was a Starbucks napkin and, and I didn't even have a pen. Somebody was walking the parking lot and I had asked this gentleman for a pen. He's like, yeah, you can have it. And I wrote on the Starbucks napkin, Jesus, I vow to trust you with every inch of my life. And then I signed my name and dated it. And it was this interchange. It was like this weird, odd vow ceremony of grief where it was like, I trust you. I'm going to grieve with you. I'm going to celebrate with you. I'm going to be victorious with you. I'm going to be in peace with you. Like it was this exchange very much like a wedding where it was like, and I looked at this hospital, this battlefield for so long that I look at and is like this like big X on it. Like avoid this spot because it equally, it's always going to bring you pain. Mm -hmm. I looked at it and was like, no, I'm going to walk in this place. And regardless of what happens, I'm going to trust you. What happened the next day? Woke up with one less fallopian tube and another diagnosis. Okay, God. I'm going to trust you. And then it becomes this reflex in your spirit because you've built it as a habit to every single thing. I'm going to trust you. And as I trust you, I'm going to continue to grieve with you. And as I continue to grieve with you, there's going to be joy in that. And as there's joy in that, the strength's going to be there to wake up the next morning. And then as I'm waking up next morning, I'm going to serve my family with what you're giving me. And it's like this, this cycle of power and the cycle of loyalty where glory, glory, all of the beautiful words, like, like where your life, people look at it and it is a display of like, that's the reflection of Jesus Mm -hmm. because they're unafraid to feel they're unafraid to withhold. And as things are getting taken from them, all they can find in their heart to do is give more away. And that's, just honestly, obviously like how heaven works is it's like, it's just, it's just crazy. And so, um, if anyone has dealt with, I mean, obviously one in four, I think it is that deals with infertility issues. Um, like don't, you know, and I can't ever relate to guilt. A lot of people look at the first thought is what did I do to, you know, affect the change this outcome. If I didn't work out, if I didn't drink coffee, my advice when you're grieving with a father the fingers are never pointed at you. He is so gentle to to work with you and to talk with you and to converse with you and to show you how much bigger he is than doing abs at the gym and that resulting in a miscarriage or whatever. Um, and not only that, uh, you know, and when it's this biological thing, hey, testosterone or hey, is this or, you, you know, all these different things, he's so faithful to say, hey, we're going to go on this appointment together. You don't have to go through it alone. And... Um, so get people, you know, obviously don't be afraid to grieve. Don't throw guilt on you. Don't throw shame on you. And it's, you know what, sometimes shame and guilt come in a different mask and then you peel down the layers and it's still down to shame for me in a lot of different battles. I've actually always kind of stood on this platform of, I've never dealt with shame. And then I'm like, whoo, but when you peel back the layers, that's defined to shame. Um, and so that's why you have to, it's so good to ask so many questions, but get people around you. For me, 
I, I didn't want, and Angel knows this, when I get bad news, I don't tell anyone. And then I don't let anyone in. And then I watch Netflix for six and a half years and don't want my door and my dungeon room. And I don't want anyone to come in. And I don't want anyone to ask how I'm feeling because I would hope that they would trust that I trust God enough that I've told him how I feel. And so I'm not quite ready to talk about it. And so um, that's what happened. I didn't, Angel did not, she obviously, you know, like she set up, like my friends set up a full like meal train and they knew that I didn't want to see anyone. So what did they do? They door dashed it. And then Angel came the next night, um, Allie came and not once did they say like, how's your heart? Which is right. In seasons, your friends better ask you that. But they knew it was a tender spot. You're not just going to like, you know, she literally just sat there and was like, you want to watch a movie? And we ended up laughing and, my, and it hurt so bad because the incisions, because my surgery, but you can't be around Angel and not like giggle your face off. And Caitlin, we were just laughing and it was like, in times of grief, you need, and maybe you have a friend that is walking through this. I've had a lot of people message me say, hey, my friend just sent a miscarriage. How can I support her? Don't give her words. Give her your eye contact. Literally give her your support. Like bring lift to her in a way that like, and we live in a, I get it. We live in a fix it culture. And often if we can provide some sort of listening ear or if we can do something, then that will provide, let, you will think that that's a way to fix it. But like, if we can just be brave enough to not feel like we have to fix it and trust that God is so in the midst of it and just be a good support system to just laugh and eye contact and understand that joy and grief can be held in the same exact hand at the same exact time is like amazing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. That was all really good. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, that's amazing. I Going back to when you were talking about like um, how do you have expectations oh for faith? Thing. Yeah, when you went on your theological thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that... I, I really struggle with being like extremely faithful and being like, nope, there's this thing. God is going to do it because he, what, why does he need to do that one thing that I put into the world and say he's going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, he will do things and he will blow me away with them. But it's so frustrating to me when I hear people say that and then they get like on a high horse. And then when it doesn't happen, then they get mad at him mm-hmm. and then they walk away from him. And I've seen so many people do that. And... Because all of a sudden the revelation that they're not God comes. Yeah, that's what happens. And they're like. Yeah. And there's a saying, I think Brene Brown said it, but you can apply this to like literally any situation, but expectation breeds resentment. And the reason why, like in my, in my own experience, I don't look at it as like, okay, God, I'm going to have faith that you're going to do X, Y, and Z. I don't look at it and say, God, I have faith that you're going to do square, circle, triangle. I don't put a label on it. I literally try to be, because how does he love us unconditionally? So I try to love him unconditionally. Whether you do or you don't, I know your what you're doing is better for me. And I don't expect you to do anything but what you have for me. And I don't know what that means. And no one knows what that means. Mm-hmm. So no one's going to, you know, and to me, I feel like that's how I've lived the most like peaceful, mm-hmm. I guess, because mm-hmm. my mind's not always trying to control an outcome. Mm-hmm. My actions aren't trying to control an outcome. I don't know if that's necessarily right theologically. I have no idea. Can I ask you yeah. a question then? So now, now it's Angel in the episode. So how would you, because um, often the response is, and I don't, maybe you felt this way, um, you experience a, a season of hardness and you hear the, vo- the question, is he testing me? How would you filter that through... 
yeah. I feel the same way. Wait, say that again. I said I don't ever think that. Yeah. I feel the same way because I think often we view this perspective of a relationship with God or grieving as a test. And I'm an awful test taker. On the SAT, I would be like, I haven't used D in a while. Yes. <laughs> Bubble D in. I'm like, they're trying to get me. I know their tricks. Yeah, exactly. 300, my square 300. <laughs> and I think that we often look at our grieving process with God as an SAT question where it's just kind of like, shoot, try, you're trying to trick me. And it's like, no, the answer to grieving is always trust. Mm -hmm. The answer to grieving is always joy. The answer to grieving is always more faith, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think that so often when we do experience transition and when we do experience, um, hard seasons or good seasons, we always will somehow there's this little voice that says it's a test. It's a test. It's a test. In in my opinion, there's so many things that people get caught up on that are simply distractions. Like at the end of the day, like if God wants anything to happen, it will happen. Regardless of if I entertain the fact that or the idea that it might be a test. Yeah. It's going to happen. I agree. If God wants it to. And I also feel like I, my response when someone says, do you feel like this is a test? I'm like, you call it a test. I call it an invitation. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna trust them, <laughs> you yeah, know. No, like that's, that's actually how I felt about the SATs. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I didn't even. I took my SATs in college. Like I was already in college. I was like, I should probably take this. I went to a that's high amazing. school as a college student and took the SATs because it was an invitation. It wasn't like a test that I needed to pass. Right. I just thought, well, I was asked to do it a few times. Yeah. Like. Maybe I should do it and see what happens. Right. What ended up happening? Yeah. I ended up using it and getting into BSU. In college, I took my, like, to go back, you know what I mean? And then yeah, I met my exactly. husband there and all this, my life changed. So it's just, yeah, I don't, I don't think that people need to have a label for everything and to say, oh, this, this season, this grief is this. This pain is this level hard. This experience is asking me to do this. It's not... Matt said it earlier. It's not national treasure on the back of the Constitution. You know, we're not doing all those things. Grieving is not all those things. It's literally just an invitation to trust him and and say, can you be here with me? That's so good. And what was I just thinking that you were saying? That is really, really good. I can't remember. That's really powerful. I think that grief... I think that people... Oh, that's what I was going to say. Um, I think people want to process grief because it, you know, you can tell when somebody like body language or whatever, you can tell when someone's carrying something that isn't belong to them. Um, and it brings obviously carrying grief for too long brings anxiety. It brings rage. It brings bitterness. It bring, it breeds all of those things into your heart. And then that flows into how you treat people and how you think of yourself and all that. And so I think often people experience grief as a checklist. I have to go through it. So then it doesn't affect me and my professional life or my family in a way of like, Oh, this is an inconvenience. But to the, the change of heart, when you say, I want to go through this, not just to get through it. So then it'll stop affecting me and weighing on me, but I want to get through this because I want to really trust God more is this switch of like, Oh my gosh, like that's where the breakthrough is. And that's why when I was telling Zach, you know, after talking, we're like, how do you feel? You know, what's going on? And I said, I, I hate that this is how I feel. I want to justify anger. Or I want to justify like kind of these emotions since it's kind of like this experience. You can wave the flag of like, w- you can feel whatever. Mm-hmm. It is justified. I wanted to kind of 
play the victim in a second? Like just one second, I'll be the victim. And my first response of getting home, not even 10 minutes from surgery, and we're just talking, my first response was like, I honestly feel like this has increased my capacity. I I said, I feel like anything could happen to me in this moment, and I would trust him. And Zach was like, Oh my gosh. And I was like, and not in this. And again, my, my, hear my tone. My tone is not as like, heroic, like martyr. I can do anything. Yeah. No, not in a martyr tone at all, but literally just like, I am so, <laughs> I'm so in pain and so deep in the trenches that like, it is my only freaking option. And I am going to learn how to trust him. And you know, what's funny is in 10 years from now, we're going to look at this season. We're going to be like, we thought you trust him then look at us now, you know? And so that's what living a life in grief and in joy and all these things with the Holy spirit. That's the joy of it. And that's the fruit of it. Mm-hmm. Is like just deeper freedom, deeper trust, deeper free faith. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway, well, <laughs> yeah. this has been an episode. We really didn't know where it was going to go. We were like, let's do it in bite. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I, I think for anyone who is going through grief, I kind of want to hear what you would say about what, like, what's, I mean, I know you just kind of unpacked a ton, but for anyone who's going through grief, what's the one thing that you would say to them? Um, to not ignore your feelings, but know that the word of God triumphs feelings. And I think that that in the last year, so I know this is long, so we'll end it on this, but in 2018, the very beginning of the year, the the Lord said, this year you are going to learn the word and like have it like written on your heart in a way that you never have. Remember? And I was like, I always felt convicted because I'm like, dang, this girl just read Habakkuk 2 to me by brain memory. She knows the word like crazy. And I'm like, John 316, you know, or whatever. And I was always kind of embarrassed of how little I could retain the Bible. And so I spent the entire year 2018, you know, reading the Bible in a year. And it transformed my whole life, literally. And you look at your, you look at spending time in the word and there's the direct correlation with so much. You look at these and you're like, dude, I can't believe God uses homie. I can't think he can hopefully use me. Like it breeds this like humanity to this relationship with God, but it, Honestly, more than anything, I look at it and I'm like, if I did not, if God did not, and he's always inviting us to the word, guys, it just took me, unfortunately, 26 years to really, really accept the invitation to like be a woman in the word. But if I did not spend 2018 being disciplined enough to be in the word, I can tell you a thousand percent as 2019 and the, all the different bad news that we've received, I would have been crippled. But I, in literal times I have thought of, okay, this happened. And then God used, I have read, I have all these things where it has actually prepared my heart to be able to grieve, to receive pain, to receive joy. And so in that same vein, I think people will be like, Oh, have faith. So ignore your feelings. Brush under the rug. God is good. Ah, you know, he's going to, he's writing your story in in this tone of ignoring feelings. Do not ignore your feelings Mm -hmm. in in friendships, in marriage. Do not ignore your feelings, but do not, don't worship him and understand that the word triumphs feelings. And so, and Brene Brown is like, I mean, we're kind of quoting her a lot, but she talks a lot about that. And there's a lot of validity to what she says and to our, uh, being able to carry that into your relationship and let that flow into all relationships. But um, that's what my advice would be. Mm-hmm. Listen to your feelings, but know the word triumphs that. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Okay, well, thank you for sharing literally so many deep parts that you, like, thank you for just knowing that, like, like people listen to this and that God's in this conversation and being vulnerable and all that. Thank you. It's my honor. Thank you, Evie. <laughs>
And now we say goodbye. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Love you guys. Love you guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the last episode of Fearless Talk with me and EB. We really hope that you enjoyed the episode talking about grief and joy and all that comes with trusting the Father. And we hope that as you listen to this, you feel inspired. If you love this episode, be sure to leave a comment on our Instagram and on iTunes. And also make sure to share the episode. We love when you guys share about it. We love seeing how it's affected you. It truly means the world. Have a great day.